The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Broadcom's 130 billion offer for Qualcomm is the best sign yet of a frothy tech market. And what does the withdrawal of Glencore, Coach and others from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange say about the future of the bourse? These are the issues we'll be tackling in this week's Views Room, a weekly conversation among breaking news columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm Anthony Curry and my co-host is Jennifer Sabre. Hi, Jen. Hi, Anthony. Hawk Tan is shaking up the tech world. In just four years, he has turned a semiconductor company from an also-ran into one of the sector's biggest players. Now he's taking Broadcom into what seems to be turning into a potentially hostile bid for Qualcomm. Rob Searin is joining us here in New York to talk about what's at stake. Welcome, Rob. Hey, Jen. Okay, so uh, there's a lot going on in this deal. I mean, a, a, a whole, lot. A whole lot, yeah. But, so, it's, so why don't you just take us through just the fundamental so let's let's outline. just step whole really far back and say, so what's happened in the chip industry is that the chip industry isn't growing as much as it used. It used to be like this dynamic industry, and every year there were new and better, faster chips. Um, that's slowed down a lot, and it's becoming more expensive to develop new chips. What that means is that growth has slowed for all these chip companies out there. And so what that's inspired is people like Hocktan to go out and start buying companies rather than developing them their own. So um, like a big roll-up. Big roll-up, exactly. So- Okay. And so what he did is he took this company called Avago, um, and it bought another a bunch of companies, including one called Broadcom, took the name Broadcom, and now here we are. And what it's doing now is it's very top-of-the-market stuff. So it, it wants to buy Qualcomm, and Qualcomm is buy, wants to buy another company called NXP. That deal was announced a year ago, right? That yeah. And yeah. It's um, a 40-odd billion deal. And so what um, what Broadcom is saying, hey, you know what, we'll buy both of your companies. And, you know, you, you don't want to actually sell to us? Well, fine. We'll, we'll make an unsolicited hostile offer, basically. And and not just that, they are also basically want to pay for most of it in cash. Yeah, which which is something you don't... <laughs> That's 90 <laughs> all, billion of all cash. All of these things you typically don't see involving chip deals. Let's, let's stop and think about it. So a chip company is a bunch of researchers developing things. Um, and... If you buy the company, if these researchers walk out the door, you've basically bought a shell. You've bought, you know, you've, you've got some products, but you won't develop new products. So hostile deals tend to be very rare in the sector. Leverage deals are even rarer. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, NXP and another company called Freescale, they, bro- they were both brought up by private equity firms with a lot of debt. And the chip circle ter- uh, turned. In other words, people stopped buying as many chips, sales went down, and these companies suddenly almost went bankrupt because they had all this debt and they couldn't pay it. So people, the industry tends to shy away from both hostile deals and lots of leverage. Wait, which and Broadcom both is doing both. Both, basically. yeah, exactly. So he's, they're lardering on a bunch of, uh, of debt, and they are completely going hostile. And, and, and there's a lot going on at Qualcomm right now, too. Not yeah. just They're not just waiting for this NXP deal to be approved because it's in Europe and regular, regulators there have to basically uh, put their stamp of approval on it. Um, but also here in the United States, they're fighting Apple and uh, a lengthy lawsuit, right? Yeah, that's so that, going that's, on for that's a while. actually the reason why this whole thing happened because Apple um, – so Qualcomm, they, they do two things. They sell chips, um, but they make most of their profits from royalties. They, they um, Basically, every uh, mobile device out there, um, the manufacturer pays a small royalty to Qualcomm because Qualcomm invented chips that um, enable wireless connections and uh, you know, cellular connections. 
So what Apple said is, hey, we're paying too much. We don't like the amount we're paying because you're charging us based on the price of the whole phone, not just the wireless chip, but if we add more memory, we have to pay you more, um, more royalties. If we add a bigger screen, we have to pay more royalties. And that's kind of crazy if you're only making chips that make wireless connections. Why are we paying this additional? Mm -hmm. But they signed a contract, I assume. Um, they did. Um, however, they've said that Qualcomm hasn't been abiding by it. Um, and, you know, there's been lots of it, the, the contract also is I believe it's coming up for a renegotiation. Uh -huh. So it's, you know, they're trying to establish how it's going to go going forward. And is Apple one of Qualcomm's biggest customers? Can you put that in context? Yeah. Apple okay. pays about two. The, this is all behind the scenes, so we're not sure exactly how much it is. But analysts seem to agree it's about two billion dollars a year in royalties. And if you think that this is just gravy, you know, they don't have to do much for these royalties except have some patent lawyers. Um, it's basically most of that is profit to Qualcomm. Okay. So this whole lawsuit's going on. Yeah. And, and since that happened, so Qualcomm stock took a big hit because, you know, if you've got the biggest cell phone company in the world saying, hey, we're not going to pay you and your all these. customer. Yeah. yeah we're yeah. not going to pay all, these all this money and all yeah. these royalties and basically all this profit's going to disappear from your company. Investors started to freak out and they sold Qualcomm stock. Qualcomm stock went down and Broadcom said, hey, you know, this chip company, let's maybe make a bid. All the while waiting for the NXP deal to be finished. Exactly. And, yeah. and there's another weird wrinkle with Broadcom, right? They're based in Malaysia. Is that what you said? Uh, Singapore. Singapore. So they're based in Singapore. They have some like well, headquarters they, around it's here. It's one of these cases they where they say they're based in Singapore, but, you know, it's a roll up of a lot of American companies. So most so now they're picking up to move here in the United yeah, States. So now that they, they made an, a negotiation, uh, an announcement, I think it was actually with Donald Trump. Uh, earlier this month saying, hey, you know, we're moving back to the U.S. Um, and, you know, what do you know, a few days later, suddenly they make this bid for Qualcomm. Um, the U.S. has been very um, reluctant to allow high-tech companies to be bought up by foreigners, especially Chinese-dominated ones. Um, this, you know, it's a Singapore company, so not quite the thing, but... But close enough. But close enough. Yeah. And Qualcomm is, is a lot, a lot of patents. And like I said, you know, they're used in pretty much every mobile device. So it's it's a very sensitive uh, technology for um, U.S. military and security. Okay. So, so here's another question. What happens if, um, because Broadcom basically said, we'll take Qualcomm whether or not the NXP deal closes. Like, mm -hmm. they're agnostic to that. What happens if the deal closes? Like, where is Qualcomm sitting in all of this? Do they do they want this, or they how are they responding? And what's you mean? What's their do next they want move? NXP or? Well, clearly they want NXP, but are they responding to Broadcom as well? Well, like, they want how is they this want working? they want Broadcom more probably than they want NXP. Um, I mean, sorry, sorry, Broadcom wants Qualcomm more than they want NXP. They they said they'll take okay. NXP as part of the deal. Um, it looks as if they're serious. They said they're um, it. Reports suggest they're leaning towards um, a hostile, um, starting to uh, a proxy fight to appoint directors to Qualcomm's board. Okay. Um, so that would mean, you know, over the next few months, we'll see it heat up even further, and then there'll be an eventual vote. Um, that said, you know, there haven't been many hostile deals over the past <laughs> 10 yeah. years, so it, you know, we'll see where this goes. So could they actually go hostile on Broadcom themselves? I doubt it. Um, it doesn't seem the sort of thing that Qualcomm would do. Um, and you wouldn't want to buy, you know, the, so Qualcomm has very high profit margins comparison to Broadcom. They would be buying something that's kind of, and they also wouldn't necessarily know what they're buying because um, 
like I said, Broadcom's a roll-up. They've bought all these yeah. other companies. And ro- roll-ups look good for a while because, hey, you cut some costs, you cut R&D, and boom, suddenly you've got some profits. Mm. The question is, okay, so you cut R&D and you slashed all these people. Do you have a bunch of bitter people left behind right. and you know, not enough in, you're not generating enough patents for future profits? So you don't necessarily want to go and say, hey, you know, just because you bid on us, we're going to bid on you. I, I, I really doubt that's going to so happen. So Qualcomm's in a, in a better position for the long term then because it's got a better margins, you're saying? Um, I suspect so, but, but the Qualcomm does have a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, they... The reason they have these uh, sweet patent deals is is just because phones used to be, you know, a phone was a phone. And so a chip that connected it to speak with other phones, a, a broadband chip, was very valuable. Uh, smartphones are more computers now, you know, like it, it's, you know, hey, sure, it's great to have a connection, um, but that's not really what's driving, you know, Apple to increase the prices. So I suspect the the amount of patent uh, royalties they're going to get in the future is going to drop. In the future, you know, they've got they had this huge success, but that doesn't mean necessarily it's going to grow on itself. It may just kind of you know plateau. Yeah. And and where does Apple, like from their viewpoint, what would they like to see happen in all of this? Mess? Apple would like the lowest royalty possible. Um, <laughs> but if Broadcom comes in with that, um, I've seen a lot of stories that suggest that. You know, hey, if Broadcom comes in, they'll patch things up with Apple, and I don't buy that necessarily because you'd have a bigger company, and why would a bigger company suddenly say, hey, let's you know, let's give more over to you and, and let's have less profits for me? That doesn't mean, seem to make much sense. So a lot of warning signs about this deal in that it's leveraged, it's hostile, and they're also taking on a potential lawsuit. Yeah, correct. I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen. All right. Thank you, Rob. You're welcome. What's bothering companies about Hong Kong? It has long been one of the largest financial centres in the world, yet the likes of mining giant Glencore are ditching their listings there. We hand over to our colleagues in Asia to fill us in. Hi everyone, I'm Pete Sweeney, Breaking Views Asia editor, and I'm here in Hong Kong with our newest colleague, Clara Ferrer Marquez, who's joining our team as an Asia columnist. Um, And we're here to talk about a, a recent interesting phenomenon here in Hong Kong that Clara has written about, namely that uh, Swiss mining giant Glencore and bag brand Coach have both decided to wind down their listings in Hong Kong. Uh, Clara, can you just get, introduce us what, what's, what's happening? So it's been really, I guess, the, the beginning of the end for the secondary listings in, in Hong Kong. We had a real flurry a couple of years ago, and when Glencore listed in London in 2011, if you remember a record, IPO and they were the first to do a simultaneous primary listing in London and a secondary listing here in Hong Kong. Um, at the time, it was supposed to be the gateway into China, the gateway to Chinese investors. What they found was actually the volumes dramatically dropped off after a, a little while and it just wasn't worth it for them. Coach, the same story. So we had Glencore one day, Coach the next. So now we're left with five foreign companies with secondary listing on the Hong Kong exchange, pretty much all of them showing minimal volumes, really. So what what do you think the problem is? Um, was this just a, a missell, or is there something the exchange can do to, to fix this? Because obviously Charles Lee, the executive of the Hong Kong exchange, mm-hmm. is very excited about attracting foreign listings and secondary listings by Chinese firms that are listed abroad, and he's got all sorts of hot ideas, but this makes mm-hmm. it very difficult to, to pitch that. 
I think it depends why you want a secondary listing. So in general, there are questions around secondary listings. What's the point of them? Um, if you are in a market to gain governance halo, so for example, this is Chinese companies that would list in the US, Russian companies that would list in London, you're getting a governance halo, so it's worthwhile. Here, it's really a politics argument rather than an investor argument. So Charles Lee at the moment is really talking to people about primary listings through Primary Connect. He's not so much pushing the secondary side. Um, a lot of the same questions, though, probably still stand for Primary Connect, which is, is it really the gateway into China that he says it is? So for somebody like Aramco, do you need to be here? Probably the answer is no. But do you need to be here for the politics? That's a different question entirely. Yeah, that's well put. Uh, just for the readers who aren't familiar, Primary Connect is an idea that Charles Lee is pitching, which would allow mainland investors to come into Hong Kong and participate in IPOs. Now, I mean, what's interesting is that on paper, this should be very attractive, because if you look at the way that IPOs go in China, they're oversubscribed by thousands of times and <laughs> enormous enthusiasm. Um, but I mean, you know, my, my question was, of course, the reason that they're so oversubscribed in China is because the pricing is all screwed up. I mean, uh, they've locked in the P.E. ratio at like 23. There's a huge first day pop. Mm -hmm. I didn't see how that would sell. But let me ask you, say Aramco doesn't do it. Say, you know, the Glencores and these other five, these, these companies that are still hanging around. I think you think Samsonite's going to go? Well, again, they're, they're a primary listing, much like right. Prada. The ones that are that remain of the five, we have Manulife, um, Fast Retailing from Japan, uh, Cas Minerals, a company that was in the FTSE 100 in London, did a secondary listing here a few years back. For the primary listing, it's a slightly different argument. But if we look at Prudential, for example, so the UK insurer, they have a sec uh, dual primary listing here almost no volume and absolutely minute fraction of what they have in London. So again, it shows that when investors want to invest in your stock, they will go to the deeper market to do that. Whether you have to be here for political reasons, again, totally different argument. And that's probably what will win around Coover may still bring them here. So they might not have to worry about whether they actually have volume or not. It still makes them the right friends, I guess. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that they clearly there's this thought that like maybe Alibaba or these these Chinese tech giants that are left listed overseas could come back. We've seen some signs of, of some very nice IPO receptions for like a Zhongan Insurance, I think, did well at Absolutely. first. Um, you know, so there is like a, a rising pipeline of Chinese firms. What's interesting is that like what Hong Kong is looking more and more like is a parochial Chinese market as opposed to a global financial market. But I mean, do you think that's actually a problem for Hong Kong if they just become all Chinese all day? It could be a pretty big market all the same and if you look at the I think the, the interesting test will be the, the the new board that they've created and whether they can use that to allow dual class shares onto Hong Kong so would that bring I mean Alibaba obviously being the big loss mm. to the US can they bring a secondary listing here again for reasons really not financial and trading reasons but many others I think that that will be a much more interesting test well, I'm sure Charles Lee is going to working diligently towards that goal. Uh, thank you so much. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank Rob Siren, Pete Sweeney, Clara Ferreira Marquez for joining us. Kudos also to our producers, Freddie Joyner, Ryan Warner, and Andrew D'Antonio. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com, subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes, and please do share your opinions about our show. 
Thanks again and join us next week for another edition.